0: Welcome to Man Reads Monday. I am Aaron Ventura.
1: He is Jacob Rush. Let's get to work. Jacob, what are we working through today? Well, Aaron, we're back with Durable Trades subtitle, Family-Centered Economies That Have Stood the Test of Time by Rory Groves. So we're in chapters two and three, uh, which is finishing up part one of this book. And this whole part one is called Brittle
0: Systems. And if you've listened to uh, the previous podcast, you know that we're talking about trying to, uh, even back to Man of the House, building a a shelter for a world that is falling apart. And uh, there's debate over how fast or when... Uh, things are falling apart. Some some would say they already have. Some would say it is it is coming still, and COVID has uh, made has exacerbated certain elements of it. So so people are going to fall over the place in uh, in saying when that uh, crisis point is, whether we are uh, expecting another one or or we're past it. But either way, he's wanting to talk about uh, what systems are we reliant on. And are we over-reliant on them? And the whole kind of point of this book, Durable Trades, is just really a research project, a survey of 61 trades that have lasted for a minimum of 230 years, most of them for like thousands of years, uh, to to say, what would it take to have a family-centered economy that
1: was um, not... So, anti-fragile, I mean, in one sense, you know, not uh, not fragile, not brittle, not dependent on the structures so that if the structures were to be taken out from underneath us, that they would endure, that they would go on.
0: Yeah, I think of what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, you, you can be a man who builds your house on the sand, or you can be a man that builds your house on the rock. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the question is, what have we built our house on. So, in the Gospels, when Jesus is saying that, he's referring to someone who hears hears his sermon, hears his words, and doesn't do them. That man builds a house, but it's on sand. Yeah. The man who actually is obedient, who, who does what Jesus says, who seeks the kingdom first, that's the man who has a house that can withstand the storm. So, in both cases, the storm of judgment is coming, and it, it was, was going to fall specifically on Israel once upon a time. Mm-hmm. But there are these Uh, judgments of God that continue to rock our world. And I think you are not living with your eyes open as a Christian. If you think we're not under judgment right now, we are, I think, obviously um, under judgment. You have all these churches with masks and churches that aren't even meeting right now. Mm -hmm. And then we wonder why everything else is in disarray. Well, because we have uh, neglected first things, right? We've neglected the worship of God. So, um, what he doesn't get into here, so we're going to talk about the industrial revolution, uh, but one of the things that he doesn't specifically touch on is the kind of covenantal aspect of what happened in the world during this time. So mm-hmm. we're looking at a specific like phenomenon in work, mm-hmm. in uh, yeah in in religion he's going to mention the decline of religion in education and women's rights in urbanization so we're talking about a lot of that but we what we aren't talking about is what are god's people worshiping him uh loving their neighbor pursuing dominion in the world because if they are doing that we have all of the promises in Deuteronomy the covenant blessings mm-hmm. but when we neglect those things, we have all of the covenant curses. And when I look at uh, a lot of the problems that he lays out here, um, that he attributes to either moving away from agriculture to the factory, right? And, and mm-hmm. it would be, and I think it's oversimplistic to say it's just that move. Right. From out of the home, you know you're a artisan shoemaker. To now you're working in a factory making shoes, and that
1: is the, the that's when everything went downhill. Yeah, you know, if we had just not gone to factories, society wouldn't be where we are. Yeah, and I think and I think probably Rory Groves would admit that that
0: would be a radical oversimplification of it. Right, but it is part of it, right? If 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 you are not seeing your wife, if you're not seeing your kids, if you're not barely seeing one another yeah. as a family, just your family culture is going to be diminish and and the same goes for guys who work 70 hours a week in a white collar office job right now but one of the things we have to remember in all of this is that god is the giver of bread of health of technology and god is the one who also curses the ground um if you read the laws for uh the jubilee laws for when they're supposed to give the land rest uh there's a year in which you don't actually even sow your farm and God is going to bring an increase so that you don't have to. Mm -hmm. So I think we forget now in our uh, materialistic secular framework, Mm. we deny that God has any relevance to agriculture and farming, but no, God is intimately involved in the farming that happens and what whether the crops are going to be a 30, 60, 100-fold crop or a, or a bum crop.
1: Right, or just get by crop. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that. So he kind of kicks off the chapter by saying um, this example about the French Revolution. You know, 200 years after the French Revolution, the Chinese premier, uh, am I saying this right? Uh, Zhu <laughs> in Lai. Is that right, Aaron? Yeah, go. Yeah, let's just go with that. Okay, okay. Um was asked about the, its significance to world events, and he responded, it's too soon to say. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of, the, one of the benefits of that distance that we have. In one sense, we're able to begin, just begin to trace what's going on, just beginning to trace, okay, what, ha- you know, what happened and what impact did it have on the events after it? But in another sense, we should have a kind of humility to say, it's too soon to say. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, you know, empires rise and fall. There's hundreds of other factors, and above and over it all, like you're saying, is God's providence and the history of his covenant people who obey him or not, and then God bringing his judgments about, you know, will we really know what was the decline of America until, you know, know, probably will be- Until it
0: crashes. Until it
1: crashes, yeah. And then, you know, probably be 200 years after that before we can really have some clarity and say, oh, that's what was going on.
0: Yeah. And if you've ever read stories about uh, 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 historians argue about why the Roman Empire fell. Yeah, right. And there's there is not consensus on this. barbarians. Yeah. Huh? So, so there's all Arianism. sorts of reasons. I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm reading a book called "Follow the Money" and it's a history of kind of just money. Mm-hmm. And and this guy naturally attribu- attributes part of their fall to the debasing of their currency. Yeah. So it. But it's easy to just take one thing yep. and make it the whole cause. But you know, life is more complex than that. There is a confluence of factors that come together and conspire to, uh, you know, take a place
1: down. Oh, sorry. But before we open it, I do think, so trying to wrap some of those threads together, uh, I like your perspective of bringing our covenant dealings with God on this. Cause as we're examining maybe some of the problems he's locating about what the industrial revolution has done in terms of changing our mindset, the attitude we want to have is, okay, what is uh, God's a giver of gifts? What does the gift of technology look like properly received and used? Yeah. Right. How, you know, it, which it's podcasts. It's, <laughs> uh, Hey man, you want to listen to my podcast <laughs> every, every, uh, 20 year old in the world. Um, you know, what does it look like to rightly receive technology um, <clears throat> and steward it well? Because it's a function of wisdom. It's a function of humanity growing up into maturity. And so we're going to have to deal with it, whether we like it or not. Um, you know, sort of like the car, you know, yeah. like you got to you gotta learn how to do it eventually. So that's the question we want to ask.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, talking about the industrial revolution reminds me of, I think we're in an analogous place right now with what you might call the, like, internet Revolution. Yeah,
1: tech, what would you call it? Yeah,
0: I don't know what they're calling it these Web? days, but I mean-
1: Information age? Yeah, that, like that is a,
0: a radical change in the world that we have lived through. So I think the industrial revolution was this huge leap forward in tools and, and advance and urbanization. And now we're at this place where uh, in some ways the internet has allowed a lot of us to now go to some decentralization. So yeah. uh, what you saw, so the Industrial Revolution, if you're wondering, okay, when was this? This is, you know, people market differently, but generally uh, 1790 to 1840 is where Rory Groves place, places it. And it's this general general move from the home to the factory, this increase in cities, and uh, in some ways, the death of uh, liberal education for kids yeah. and a change in the mindset of what even work is and what work is for, um, you, you could say it is a crisis of vocation, religion, and anthropology mm. to some extent. So, I think where the industrial revolution goes wrong is in how they answer the question: What is man? What is work? What's he for? What's he for? Uh, what are what are tools? What is wealth for? And then prioritizing those. Mm. So. Uh, Jacob, what were your other kind of takeaways? I know, as someone who works in education, and you, you there's this quote from who is it? Uh, uh, Woodrow Wilson. This is, this is this is like a crazy quote. This is on page twenty. He says. For we want to do two things in modern society. We want one class of persons to have a liberal education, and we want another class of persons, a very much larger class of necessity, in every society to forego the privileges of a a liberal education and fit themselves to perform specific, difficult manual tasks.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, his cards are right on the table, right? And, you know, Rory… Where it brings a part of this, like there's a the sinister element of, you know, where, you know, you know, the world, the flesh, the devil kind of collude together to to co-opt this movement to for the destruction of the institutions that God has has put together. Uh, yeah, he talks about you know once you've got this economy that switches away from the agrarian and agricultural and becomes a manufacturing thing, then all of a sudden you need to begin to prepare people to do that, right? You, you need to prepare people to, you know, you say brainwash, is that, can you see, is, is, it, that, is it really that strong? Well, what does Woodrow Wilson? What did he? What did he say? He he very clearly thinks, hey, we need to. He has a vision for what society ought to look like, just like any ruling class does, any intellectual ruling class does. Yeah. They have a vision for society, and then institutions are the are their means to bring it to, to pass.
0: Yeah, you basically need slave labor to work the farm. Yeah, right? you you need these uh, low class workers to be doing that manual work that you don't want to do as the yeah. as landowner. And so, uh, there's a place for that. Right. Um, and the, the, But the question, I think, that I would want to ask people to consider is, biblically, from what we know of scripture, what is the good life? Right. What is the good life? And I want to put forward two texts. So, uh, the first one is in Proverbs. This is Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. It says, do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Okay, so it says, don't overwork to be rich. There's, there's a time where you actually need to not be so profitable. And you see even bits of charity built into the gleaning laws, right? Mm-hmm. So you actually were to not glean all the way to the edges of your field to allow that for uh, aliens to come through and, and glean so you could glean to the very edge and maximize profit but there are multiple reasons why God says you actually should not do that it may be to take care and provide for the poor it may also mean because riches are not the most important thing yeah there are there are there's something more important than that namely, the enjoyment of God's gifts. And that's where I get into really the whole book of Ecclesiastes, but I'll just read one right. section of it this is Ecclesiastes three twelve to 13 it says, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. And there's another section that says, you know, go and home and rejoice with the wife of your youth, you know, anoint your head with oil and, and, and says those kinds of things. So, Basically, what, what Solomon is saying, Solomon, who's who's done it all, had it all, yeah. you know, maximally wealthy and has been to the top of the mountain says, you know, you really just want to be able to enjoy these very simple, good pleasures in life that tend to revolve around rejoicing in your work and a good meal and spending time with your wife and enjoying your children. Yeah, And so- I think that needs to be the rubric that Christians use as they think about their vocation. So, uh, it isn't just profitability, though in order to have a sex- su- successful business, it needs to be profitable, right. right? You you want to exercise dominion in that way. But I think a lot of us need to also know when when is that place that we actually stop and say, uh, do we need to keep expanding to the point that I never actually see my f- family anymore what is what is it worth it worth to you
1: yeah and I mean it gets back to what we've talked about in terms of the the mindset and the um, of kind of our some of the lies that both men and women have believed in terms of maximizing their career right now and this is where it gets tricky just like wisdom is because haven't we been saying we just read Dave Ramsey like haven't we just been saying hey get money stack dollars stack dollars for your grandbabies like go do that but the point is yeah but don't do that at the expense of your soul Right, what's the parable uh, where the man stores in barns? Yeah, right. He's like, I will build bigger barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. Right, my look at my profit margins. I need bigger barns. God has really blessed me. And then he says, "You fool! You don't know that your life will be required from you this night." So if you're building up, if you are stacking dollars to your grand <laughs> for your grandbabies at the expense of your grandbabies, meaning you don't have any. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have any. Right, you don't have any. Or you're not actually loving them and being a good grandfather, um, then what's what's it for? And I think that's that's basically the the ties that that Groves is trying to say. Okay, this marked a shift. The industrial revolution and and the the accompanying technology around it marked a shift, um, which kind of co- uh, coincided with uh, what what was the word I'm trying to say like co. Um, collaborated, conspirators, that's the word. (laughs) Conspired. Uh, Conspired. I was like, co-inspired? No, no. (laughs) Conspired um, with these other factors to make it to begin to inch the mindset away from these things. Yeah, I think uh, it's worth having a
0: healthy assessment of both the costs and benefits that the Industrial Revolution brought about. So just for example, let's say uh, we're talking about building a durable home that yeah. can be uh, that is not susceptible to the economic shocks of global supply chain or shortages here and there but let's just say one year the crops fail or two years the crops fail and if you're if you're someone at the edge of starvation because of a, a bad year of crops and you have no other way of feeding yourself, the factory is is a huge blessing yeah to you, right? So I think the, the market, yeah, 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 so so for someone that has the choice between uh, slave labor or starvation, of course, you choose slave, <laughs> slave labor. labor yeah right? and, Don't and, die. yeah, and that's and that's part of the the safety net. Right. and you see that in in the biblical laws for debt slaves, right there was there was a social safety net. It wasn't the government, but it's actually other people, and it it was work. it was still. Under the old covenant, just as it is under the new, if you don't work, you don't eat. And this encouragement to work with your hands. So, uh, whereas some uh, some civilizations have actually looked down on work and looked down on working with your hands or blue collar jobs as something for only this working slave class to do or only something for middle class people to do, scripture actually Commends, commands, and dignifies it, and says that's actually a, a glorious thing. Our Our Lord Jesus was a was a working
1: man in the tr- in the truest sense. Yeah, and I think one other thing that I, I just thought about too is like the benefits and blessings of even being elevated. So even with the stratification in our society with vocations, right? Even with you know, there is. You know, maybe to grant Woodrow Wilson a kind of point, there are people who you know do more. Well, I don't know what you would want to call it, intellectual, or what's the difference between white and blue collar? Was one white collar? Is white <laughs> is white the less hardworking one, and is blue the more hardworking? One works with
0: more with his mind in front of a computer, and right. one works <laughs> with his mind and his
1: hands, you know, on the job site. Right. Exactly. It's like so. Even granting that's a thing. Um, Folks who exist at the lower stratification of that have loads more wealth than families who enlist, existed at that lower did prior to the Industrial Revolution, and um, have the ability for you know what you could call leisure time, right, contemplation time, to be able to enjoy the things like you're saying that Solomon is talking about to worship God. Like uh, that is the steady advance of the Gospels that you're able to okay, even if. You know, we, we want to argue about, you know, how much, um, you know, can you move and jump up in terms of, or is there a fixed aristocracy or is there a fixed sort of class? It's like, well, you're still a better off than where you were before.
0: Yeah, a lot of people would attribute to the Industrial Revolution a kind of widespread increase in the standard of living. And so, our, and even right now in 2021, our standard of living is the highest it's you know basically ever been in the history of the world and yeah. a lot of you know and e- and even right now we can hop on an airplane and be in places where it's 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 nothing like this. Um, I wanted to just spend a little bit of time here walking through his uh, scoring system as he right. goes through these sixty-one trades and this is really what we're going to just be doing for uh, future episodes is uh, looking at. Uh, these different trades, things that we uh, thought were interesting or liked about them. Uh, but he has these, what is it, five uh, five categories. Yeah. And uh, the first one is historical stability. So tell us about what is historical stability here?
1: Yeah. So, just hop in from his own description. How much have the core products, methods, tools, and clientele changed since the trade was pr- uh, practiced 200 years ago? So, if you have a, you know, if you want to hop to his first example, which would be, you know, animal husbandry. Yeah. Being like, okay, what are the core products, methods, and tools? Uh, Grass, yeah. <laughs> cow, <Yeah. laughs> you know, like um, that's relative. Fences. You know, yeah, fences, fences. like <laughs> things which are available, as opposed to nuclear physicist. Um, yeah. yeah, where do you get the raw materials for that? Oh yeah, nuclear <laughs> fission. <laughs> which uh, so times you know, as you draw it on the big map, what <laughs> what has consistently been in place and sort of easily accessible in that regard? Yeah. Uh, the next one is resiliency,
0: and this makes up uh, 15% of the grade. And the question is, how vulnerable is the trade to short-term disruptions in supply or demand? How long is the supply chain, and how sustainable are the inputs? Finally, how resistant is the trade to technological automation? And this was really interesting. Yeah. I haven't read the book already. Seeing what. Uh, so, if you're going to pick a trade and spend your life. You know, becoming a master at it, you want to make sure you're not going to just be easily replaced by artificial intelligence yep. tomorrow whenever Elon Musk, you know, creates yeah. a robot <laughs> to do that thing. Um, the third one, and this is the one that I was most interested in, is family centeredness. So uh, how much time is spent together for family members working in this trade? Are there roles for children and the elderly, husband and wife? Can the trade be practiced? From home or only offsite, and finally, does the business generate tangible assets that can be passed down through generations? So, just to give you an example, uh, so back to our farm example, which is the one that he, uh, you know, him and his own family do. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of things, chores that the kids can do. Whereas one of the one of the trades in here is a lawyer. Yeah. Now there's not really much for all right,
1: Johnny. (laughs) Yeah, for a kid. (laughs) File this brief.
0: Yeah, and it's also interesting seeing what you can actually pass on. For some of these, he's just going to say it's basically just intellectual property. Yeah, that's all there is. Whereas for other companies, it's like heavy
1: machinery and there's land assets you can actually pass on. It's kind of funny, you know. um, Just watch the movie Coco. Have you seen the movie Coco? It's a Pixar movie. Anyway, but basically the family are shoemakers for many generations. And you think about even some of the last names that we have for people, like Schumacher, Mm -hmm. right? Somebody, if you know somebody named Schumacher, that's literally from shoemaker. (laughs) And and, you know, just kind of give you to okay, what you know. Think about could you name Smith? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Smith. Yeah. Would you be able to name with a, a last name based upon your trade, like Aaron Data Engineer, <laughs> like no, 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 those are not those are not durable in that yeah, sense. But, so what did, what do the Rushes? What what is Jacob Rush family known Ooh, for? I think Rushes. I think "rush" just means red. <laughs> oh, really? I think so. Okay. But I think that's one. That's one etymology of it. it's red or rush is Like obviously, like bushes. You know, like okay. a bush or something. I
0: was thinking more about like you get things done quickly. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> See, that's what I. That's always what in I. In a
0: hurry. I've Maybe wondered. your family was like delivery people, and they were well, they were like the UPS of.
1: <laughs> well, my great, great 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 grandfather was the high sheriff of uh, of Suffolk in Ipswich, England. Wow. So, at least according to Ancestry dot com, but so but the Mormons know what they're doing. So <laughs> yeah, what did Keith say? Chip chip cheerio. <laughs> chip 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 cheerio. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Okay, uh, the
0: the last two factors are income and ease of entry. So income is you know obvious. How how much money can you make? And the most surprising one for me on here was was midwife. Midwife is like uh, one of the most profitable trades that mm. is that is in here. Yeah. And it's also kind of sad uh, those big conventional farms, how not profitable some of, some of those are. Right. Uh, hence, I guess the government subsidies. I don't I don't know how that all works. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last one, ease of entry. So how expensive is it to start a business in the trade? So let's say you're like I, I like uh, I like woodworking. Okay. Well, what would it take for you to actually? have that as a full-time trade. What kind of space do you need? What kind of tools do you can you acquire? Training. Yeah, you know. the, the training and experience. And then some of it also is like uh, some trades you can't even get into because no. the barriers are, are so high or you need to know someone or it requires some high level of certification or college ex- experience, you know, getting a certain degree. Right. So if you're going to be like a doctor, for example, you're probably going to spend a lot of your life in school and dollar bills, and it's going to be very expensive. Yeah, right. So yeah. high,
1: very high bar, very low ease of entry. Yeah. You can't just be like, oh yeah, I want to become a doctor and and be, get a profitable career. Yeah. In probably a decade, unless you're a uh, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if, if you're you don't in, know, <laughs> yeah, and
0: I don't even know if we should talk about because no, no. I don't want to ruin his. That's business. right. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. But if you are in Moscow and you know. I mean, he's not even really a doctor. No, if, you, if you know, you know. But if you
1: know Dr. Bobby, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Cash only. I, I think he I think he went to like, it was kind of like Dr. Strange. I think he went to like Tibet or something. Or at least that's in my story. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah, I probably need to go see that guy. It's been, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> have him on the podcast.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <get> t- terrified. <laughs> uh, so, so that's kind of the first uh, part. That's part one. That's the brittle systems part of durable trays, and then we're gonna just start getting to go through mm. uh, these. And I'm excited to yeah. to see if there are any that really pique my interest.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering, like, you know, guys who are listening on the podcast or the Facebook group, you know, be thinking, you know, what the space that you have. Right with the 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 talents and time God's given you, because I think that'll be one of the fun things that that we get to. It's not necessarily, oh, I should go completely trade careers. I should give up my career now and do this. But think about like like we talked about in Wiley's book. How can we? How can you start to bring? because of your hobbies and your thrifting, your thriftiness, some of these skills into the household. And even if you just started a garden, right? you found a way, you had a chicken coop, like things like that where you're able to acquire these skills to supplement and to to bolster your household.
0: Yeah, some of these can be side hustles that become Mm. a more dominant trade that you could transition to full time. Some of them, you probably shouldn't attempt to do them as a side hustle because it will You You actually need to give yourself fully to it to be able to do it. But I think it is worth uh, asking, especially for those of you who are, I mean, this podcast is aimed at college students who are trying to make these decisions. So uh, looking forward to uh, reading this with you. And until next time, Jacob, what should people
1: do? Well, whatever you do this week, make sure that you get that wisdom. You build that house. You rule that big fat belly. And you stack dollars for your grandbabies.